As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma. No Patrick Mooney this time. Uh, we found that uh, when he, it was just me and him last week, because Sahadev, you were on vacation, and um, I voted him off the island. So it's- <laughs> I'm back, you're, you're baby. Back. You're back in. <laughs> I I count for a vote and a half, so. Wow. Actually, no. That- just I, it, it was it was actually Michael, our producer. I didn't want to throw him <laughs> under the bus. We we decided I'm to bring sick you back, of Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> no, Patrick will be back on Thursday. We're just we're just you know, and that uh, that's the nice thing about a three a three man booth. We can we can take the little breaks uh, when time affords. And I hope you had a nice time away, Sahadev. Uh, you missed, you know, Patrick and I got to discuss some really. <laughs> Really terrible baseball, <laughs> and then you return just in time for the Cubs to actually win uh, their first series in over a month, uh, taking two of three from the Braves. So we're going to talk about a variety of things from that series, and you know, tapping it into the bigger picture. And maybe we'll start with how it ties to something you uh, just wrote at the Athletic. Uh, wait, did I did I do the whole? You know what? I got so sucked <laughs> into the whole. We voted Mooney off the island thing. I wasn't like. I didn't. I, I missed my normal intro rhythms. So apologies in advance if you're listening. And you're like, Brett didn't say thing X that he always addresses. <laughs> Whatever. Michael can edit it in and post, and it'll be a robotic, you know, uh, whatever it is. He'll insert it with, uh, you know, a robo voice. So anyway, Sahadev wrote something at the Athletic about um, the starts by Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson against the Braves. Uh, both were very good and important, I would say, for different reasons. Um, and then, obviously, we saw Kyle Hendricks yesterday have another of the starts that we have seen from him the last year and a half, where it really underscores that that margin for error that he has with his particular style just seems to be getting thinner and thinner as he gets older and uh, repeating sort of ultra pristine mechanics to produce ultra pristine command. Um, 
maybe is fading a little bit uh, naturally as part of aging. Maybe just there's a, a funk, an extended funk that he's had trouble sorting out. Um, I did appreciate hearing him say after the game that his shoulder feels great. That was what he rested for earlier in the month. But of course, if the shoulder feels great, then a game like yesterday where there is wildness out of the zone and then far too many pitches left up in the zone, um, you can't. You can't just say, ah, well, it's just the shoulder and he's coming back to the shoulder thing. So that was, I wouldn't call it concerting because we've con- we've seen it before, but it, it it stood in contrast, I think, to what we saw in the very same series from Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. Yeah, you know, I there were moments where I was slightly encouraged with Hendricks uh, from the middle. Start. The yeah, middle, I mean, yeah, even the in the first, like... It was the four pitch walk, right? And then Darno uh, jumped on that fastball and just launched it yeah. out. Uh, but he was getting swing and miss. The changeup looked like his changeup, and and those are little encouraging bits. But when you don't have fastball command and you throw it eighty six, eighty seven, it's it's not going to work, right? It there are part of me wants to push back on people that are just like he's done and he'll never be effective again. Uh, just because this happens, like extended periods of really poor play by veterans happens, and the smart, good, quality veterans that put in the work, they can bounce back and give you effective years. It, it what the problem is, we just don't know how long it takes. Sometimes, what exact we don't know exactly what's going on with him. Uh, all, all those things. It, it, you know, are the questions that, that we need uh, answers to. And it, it's it, it's too you, you can't just dismiss players that have a, a track record. You, I mean, it's unfair to dismiss anyone. Right. Like, let's see how these things play out. Jose Quintana is pitching well right now. Right. I mean, decently enough. If he was a back end starter on a good team, you'd take it. Right. We never saw that. We, we almost never saw that with him, with the Cubs. Weird things happen. Guys put in the work and figure things out. Um, there's there's no reason yet to write him off, but there's plenty of reason to be concerned, right? Uh, I think we're we're past that point where it's like, hmm, is this a blip? Because this is this is a this is a legitimate concern, and you have to wonder what what he is going forward. You can't. He's not the reliable starter that he was from 2016 to 2020, where you just knew. Okay, maybe there's going to be a bad start here and there, but overall, he's one of the most consistent starters in baseball. That's just not the case anymore. So, not having that reliability, that consistency is is the concern going forward and not knowing when you're going to get him back to being if you're going to get him back to being that guy and when it'll happen. Uh that's a that's a big question mark for this team going forward and just kind of throws things for a loop as far as well, you know, how far away are they from contention? Well, let's count the rotation pieces that they have. Who you, who can you rely on? And suddenly you, you reduce it by one when you thought you had a guy that was kind of locked in. Yeah, when Hendricks was at his best, even on the days when he wasn't missing bats, which, by the way, he did miss a lot more bats than people gave him credit. You know, as a command control guy, um, I think sometimes you forget uh, just how well the two-seamer and the changeup paired together to get a lot of swings and misses. Um, even when he wasn't getting that, he was staying off the barrel. 
and the quality of contact was just always, you know, really tremendous. That Kyle Hendricks was one of the the guys pointed to as our understanding of seam shifted wake was developing because his two seamer sinker operated in a way that we couldn't quite figure out why guys had such a hard time making quality contact on it. And I think what we've seen the last year and a half is that there are days too many when he's not only not missing bats, but he, it, he's not staying off the barrel. I mean, the quality of contact the last year and a half against him has changed dramatically. And that is perhaps where you would get more of the concern about his ability to reinvent himself or figure it out or stabilize because we know he still has the ability to be an effective big league pitcher because we see starts like the last time out where he was very effective. That's still in him. And, but I think it, it, what you wonder at this age and with his style is, is it realistic to think he's going to be able to stabilize it again in the same way he could and did when he was 27, 28, 29 for long stretches. And so, um, that's what I'll be curious to see the rest of the way. I think, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it, but I, I don't think chatter about Kyle Hendricks and the trade deadline is really going to make a ton of sense for a lot of reasons. I think what's going to make the most sense for the Cubs is to see if he can get to a place where you feel like, as Sahadev said, okay, he's he's a good solid 4-5 for us for 2023. We can sort of mentally lock that in and think about how do we address the rest of the rotation. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of which, uh, like I said, that Hendricks start for a, not just style and success, but also role on the team, it stood in an in interesting contrast to the pitchers who preceded him in the series, where you had Keegan Thompson with, uh, I think, inarguably the best start of his career on Friday, and then Justin Steele, uh, not with as good a start overall as he has shown us recently, but... I, th- I would contend maybe with some really substantial value in that start. And maybe we'll start there because you got into this in your piece, Sahadev, and I had the same reaction watching that fifth inning that it sounds like you took away from it and David Ross took away from it as well. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, one of those simple growth moments. Every starting pitcher needs to kind of be pushed a little bit past their limit maybe or what, you know, it – uh, I, <laughs> a reporter commented after that inning ended, after uh, Steele got out of it, which was essentially home run, strikeout, walk, walk, single or single walk, walk. Right? And, I think it was single walk, walk, single walk, walk, and uh, and 
and then he got out of it with a sack fly and a fly out, right? Not not some dominant Houdini act, but limited the damage and did a good job. And one one reporter kind of commented, uh, oh, I got Tony La Russa vibes there. I thought Ross was, was leaving the guy in too long. And I said, he probably did leave him in too long. But that's the exact if you're moment. Trying, yeah, if you're, if, yeah, if if your only focus is winning the game, right? Yeah, and, and but I don't think that's what he was thinking. I think he knew that he was kind of teetering on the edge there, but he wanted to see what happened because he needs to figure out. He had a four four zero lead going into that inning, four one lead when the bases were loaded. Uh, that's you got to see what can a guy get out of it? Uh, What can he do? He wasn't, he, you know, seal, I don't think was racking up the strikeouts on, on this day. Didn't, he wasn't a swing and miss guy and he wasn't even like at his best on the day. I didn't feel like, uh, getting a ton of ground balls, uh, doing what he does, uh, really well. Uh, So to be able to battle kind of through five innings, give up two runs, that's a nice start for a guy. You need to learn how to work through those moments. I mean, this is this is all part of the growth process. There, uh, I talked to David Russ before the start about it. Uh, just, you know, taking your lumps, having those bad starts. Keegan Thompson had two terrible starts and then goes out there and has his best start uh, as a starter in the big leagues. Uh, Justin Steele isn't really clicking, but can get through five innings against a good team, uh, giving up only two runs and keep his team in the game and set them up for a win. I think those are the things that we need to see now and the next, what is it? Four months, three months that we have here, uh, that, that that's exactly what you need to keep seeing with, with Steele, with Thompson, with the uh, with Killian, even Swarmer, I you know I st- I think that guy's probably a, a reliever in the long run. But what's the point in <laughs> in not trying to see what he can do now? Uh, even when Alzali comes back, what what can he do? I mean, that's that's what this season has been about for a little while now, for far too long <laughs> for <laughs> for a season. But it, it's it's just the reality, and you can't. It, what was really frustrating to me is having fans after every bad outing, this doesn't work. This guy can't start. The league is just littered with guys who have had stretches like this, who are now key cogs on winning teams rotations. I mean, just look at the last three opponents and it's just so many guys who people have, have had guys who have had really rough stretches or just didn't look good enough. I mean, Charlie Morton wasn't good until like a a three win, three war guy until age 33. Right. (laughs) I mean, Joe Musgrove is now one of the best pitchers in baseball and guys like basically overlooked that trade when, when the Padres acquired him, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Nestor Cortez with the Yankees. I mean, Montgomery is a great example of a guy that just couldn't get over the hump. Looked like he had the talent. Oh, this guy's not a starter. He, he can't go deep into games. Oh, this guy's so inconsistent. He'll never be a, a quality starter on a winning team. Uh, Nestor Cortez came out of nowhere. I mean, it happens really more often than you think. I mean, Cubs fans should know this. I mean, they saw Jake Arrieta go from afterthought to superstar, right? It doesn't, it's not always going to look exactly like that. It comes in different forms, but you have to be patient. And this is exactly when you have the time for patience. This is, if there's, Brett, we've talked about this. If there's one thing to lament over the, the years, 
of really good baseball that we watched of the Cubs. It's that they didn't have this kind of leeway to to let guys struggle to figure out what they had with different players. Right. They couldn't let they couldn't afford to do that because they were they needed to win. And right now that isn't the case. So you you take advantage of these moments. Uh, it sucks to watch a bad team on the field, but maybe this pays off in the long run. To that point, too, um, and as it relates specifically to the pitching that we're seeing in this conversation that you are having now, during those good years, the Cubs generally, especially once like Arietta had established himself and Kyle Hendricks came up and established himself, they had like a set rotation every year. Now, they they needed to tap the depth, but it was like clear depth with starting pitchers that were backing up starting pitchers. And it was like, this is the rotation of full starting pitchers. And what we didn't see for years and years is something that we had seen other successful organizations do all the time. We've seen the Dodgers do this for years. We've seen the Cardinals do this for years. And it's these guys on the bubble of potentially being a big league starting pitcher or being a very good reliever. They get several seasons of bouncing back and forth in those roles before they can really establish themselves as starting pitchers. Like Sahadev said, you go back and look at some of these guys, some very, very successful starting pitchers around baseball, their first two or so years in the league, they were bouncing around between three roles. They were a starter at AAA, they were a fill-in starter in the big leagues, and they were a quality reliever in the big leagues. And I think I had, I wouldn't say I'd forgotten this, but I, I just am not used to seeing what that actually looks like in practice. And so like with right. Keegan Thompson specifically, that's, that's such a good point. When was the last time we saw a pitcher developed, right? We, we no, just, we, like we, this we is, seen this is all new. This organization. I, I have training wheels on this topic <laughs> right now. Okay. So like, don't, uh, you know, no, no judgment, uh, but you know, with Keegan Thompson, I think I have been very quick to say, look, he, when he's in those quick burst outings and he knows he's going 40 pitches, and he's, you know, the the foot is down, he can be so fantastic. And when he's trying to sort of toe that line and conserve a little bit and diversify the repertoire, he's had trouble. So clearly, he's just going to be a quality multi-inning weapon for years to come. And why why should the Cubs reject that bird in hand in a, in a, a you know, a hopeless endeavor to make him a starting pitcher? And then you see an outing like Friday and you remember, shit, this is what it, it's not just that the development of the player is uneven and not linear, as they like to say, but it's that as an organization, you have to give the the exposures to the various things because that in turn helps with the development. And so that's why you can't be so quick, especially in a year like this, when you have the room to, to play around, you can't be so quick to say, okay, this guy's definitely a reliever or he's definitely a starter because sometimes the the that act of struggling and looking like a guy who can only go a couple innings is part of the development into a starting pitcher. And it really clicked for me. This this whole concept really hit me hard when in discussing the start. So after his two rough ones, the one in Baltimore and the one in New York, um, Thompson had mentioned something about um, feeling like his landing point was a little bit off. It, you know, since we don't need to dig into the specifics, but point being, maybe it was a mechanical issue. I was a little bit off. After this outing on Friday, um, it sounded like, so Wilson Contreras mentioned, I saw a quote that he had referenced something to Thompson about tweaking something in the, you know, in the delivery, but mostly what was focused on was not any of that. It was just saying, you know what, come out foot down 
throwing the fastball, staying in the zone, really try to stay aggressive with the hard stuff. And that's the mentality of a guy who's coming in for a two or three inning burst. And yet he went six plus innings. And you wonder how much learning happened for him as a starting pitcher in doing those bursts of relief. Like it isn't that he just has to do that because he's good at that. It's, oh, this might be more of the part of the process of developing a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, all that is key, right? Learning how to use your pitches, when to, you know, turning over a lineup doesn't mean you have to start introducing all your different pitches over and over again, right? I mean, you don't need to, just because you went fastball heavy the first time through, if it worked, maybe maybe you try and see if it continues to work, right? I mean, maybe you sequence a little differently, but you still go fastball heavy. I mean, it's more than the results that'll tell you when to switch it up, right? I mean, like Ross talks about it all the time. It's how the guys are reacting to pitches, how they're how the ball is coming off the bat, like, si- simple things like that. It may you may still be getting outs, but you may not like what you're seeing uh, as far as as far as how the ball is coming off the bat, how how hitters are reacting to pitches. So, I mean, there's there's more than just one or two things that that are going on here, and and it's. Uh, I mean, with Keegan, he could feel like he was off, right? He felt it in in Baltimore. He felt it in New York. We talked about it. He he knew what was off in that sense. So, I mean, it can be a combination of things. And and I think it's similar. Caleb Killian, when I talked to him uh, Sunday, uh, he's starting tonight, Monday night in Pittsburgh. And uh, he had some similar things to say about his mechanics. And, and he it was kind of a lower half thing. His, he said his back was tilting and his back never tilts and his head was going down earlier and it was taking him his eyes off the plate. All these little things. He said it, it culminated from one thing with his lower half and it led to a bunch of other things happening, which is right what, what almost always happens, right? Like it's one little thing that leads to a bunch of other things and, and the whole thing's out of whack because he said, I mean, this is a guy who doesn't walk batters right like the uh command has always been his thing even before swing and miss he started getting more swing and miss uh he's always had command so to see that type of outing from him was was really weird he said not a single pitch was working for him he said normally if if one or two pitches are off i have something i can go to and then get guys out with at least battle through an outing he didn't have that last time out so that's you want to see him try and correct that. You want to see, I mean, tonight's going to be interesting to see what, how he comes out. Right. And, and is he pounding the zone? Is he less about the swing and miss and more about, is he avoiding the walks and, and is he, uh, you know, even battling out there because it didn't seem like he was his last outing. It didn't seem very competitive. Yeah. It looked at times and, you always have to caveat this a double caveat. One, I'm I'm not a scout, so I don't. I only just can see what I see with my eyes, <clears throat> having watched a lot of baseball. Um, and then also, I'm not trying to read his mind what was going on, but it just it looked at times like when he was falling behind an account or when a pitch wasn't doing what he wanted it to do. It seemed like he started overthrowing a little bit, and so he was losing the release point on top. Um, and often that's when you see a guy missing high, and it makes total sense. But you said, I hadn't seen the quotes or I hadn't heard this, that his lower half, you know, if it starts in the lower half, you're going to lose that release point uh, because of the way the kinetic chain works. Um, so that is, I don't know. I mean, it, it can be encouraging. It sort of doesn't 
matter precisely because of something we talked about within the confines of his first start, the start against the Cardinals, where he had one really bad inning. And it's like, it doesn't really matter for evaluating him because we're not trying to evaluate him right now. This is just his next step in development because he's a guy who's, he's more of a traditional starting pitcher mold, four pitch mix, great starters body, has had success up the ladder in the minor leagues, um, is you know, clearly capable of dominating at AAA. So like there aren't any questions on that front. It's just, okay, so he's here and ready to be a big league pitcher, but how do we uh, work with him and help him experience the things he's going to need to experience to be a quality starting pitcher next year? And so, uh, yeah, I, I too will be very interested to see his start tonight, um, to see how and if he makes those adjustments at a, at a real micro specific level. I'd like to see him have more success with the cutter and the two-seamer because that he has paired those together very well in the minors, uh, both as not um, bat-missing pitches, but as weak contact pitches. And he's had tremendous success with that. And I don't know that in either start in the big leagues, we've seen him command either of those pitches well. In fact, the cutter in particular, I think he's maybe thrown a total of like four or five strikes with it. To- a total. It just is, he is not been able to locate it at all and in that cardinal start he was he ended up going to the four seamer a lot which looked great i mean it looked awesome but that's like not necessarily his primary fastball so i will be you know really interested to see that um i also saw uh lance brodzowski the uh who is at marquee mentioned he talked to killian about his slider yeah which looked really good at times and essentially killing was like well i don't really throw a slider it's, right. he takes a little off the cutter um which can be fine you know if you can do it great but that'll be something down the road for maybe the cubs to work with him on to really differentiate those pitches more so um yeah there's a lot of nerdy stuff to enjoy about caleb killian right well i mean and that's i, I like kind of what you touched on there is what i want to i want to see him really hone in on what he's always done well right in the minors see like it it's, needs to be like almost a step-by-step for me what i want to see i want to see him have a, a start where it's the cutter and the two-seamer but then i want to see that next step where oh yeah remember this curveball that he developed and dominated the afl with i want to see that i want to see him break that out but it needs to be uh, you know it, it can't all be all at once right this is it, it it's like he's this is just like you said another step of his development so let him let him go out there and learn how to you know uh, attack opponents at the big league level with what worked for him best at the triple a level and then go add in the next pitch okay if it happens tonight great if he's able to go through one through the lineup and dominate with the cutter and two seamer Great. And then he breaks out the curveball later on in the outing and starts getting swing and miss. That that's I mean, you'd love to see that. But this is going to be a process. This is going to be uh, maybe not the rest of the summer. I assume he'll get sent down to see when we see Miley and Smiley return because they're they're going to want to Stroman and Stroman, of course. Yeah, because they're going to want to see the first two, obviously, to get that they need to get starts before the trade deadline, because it'd be a surprise if both those guys, if both those guys are around post trade deadline, that means their health really went sideways. And it's just going to be a 
it's going to be a little bit of an issue because the Cubs need to see guys, younger guys. That's what this, you know, this, like I said earlier, that that's what this season's about now. And you really need to focus on how, on how those guys perform and the developmental steps they can take at the major league level. Uh, we've talked about this since the inception of this podcast, but uh, developing at the major league level is such a critical aspect of the game that was overlooked for far too long. And the Cubs have really, uh, really trying to focus on that going forward. All right. Well, you've got it teed up then folks. Um, you know, watching Killian tonight and a start against the pirates is not just about enjoying prospect cookies, although it is, it's, um, it's the kind of thing that's critically important for the organization and for the timeline that I think a lot of us hope they can be on through this season and into next. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you again on Thursday. Like I said, Mooney will be back. Uh, make sure you check out Sahadev's work at The Athletic. You can get my work at Bleacher Nation. And we appreciate you listening as always. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care.